Welcome to another edition of The Culture Coordinator. This is your host and founder of The Culture Coordinator, Kurt Earl. Today we're going to be talking all about the team discipline system. It's really at the heart of how you teach and train your athletes, your people, your program, how to think and interpret the events of the season according to your cultures, your standards, your expectations. It's going to be really helpful and get you thinking. Good morning and welcome to another members only coaching session for the culture coordinator. If you're hearing this on the podcast, this is kind of the beginning portion of the members only coaching session that I always provide for you guys. It provides a lot of the why and the what of what we're going to be talking about. And then we really, when we really get down into the details of the how, that's kind of the members only portion. So let's start with the why and the what today. Today, we're going to be talking about our team discipline system. And even at the beginning, I want to hint towards where we're going. And uh, by doing that, I'm just going to say that a better way to label it might be team discipleship system, because what you're going to see is that when you discipline your athletes on your team, when you set a certain standard and expectation, and when you follow through, what you really want to accomplish is to create disciples of your program, people who think and operate and sort of have the operating system and the way of processing and viewing the events of the season that your culture builds. It builds disciples that do it the way you would like them to. They might apply that later on in their life to other areas, or it might just be to what you're doing. And that's really what you're seeking to accomplish first is to make disciples. So it's the team discipline system. But like I said, the more I've pondered this, the more it seems to me that maybe it's the team discipleship system. I want to start by just helping us understand why it's crucial that your discipline system lines up with the type of culture you're striving to build and, <clears throat> and the types of things you're striving to teach your athletes about ambition, motivation, and mindset. I think we've all probably driven a car that was out of alignment, right? The car shakes and kind of shimmies, and it especially does that when you hit the gas or slow down or maybe coming in and out of turns. And we all know that it's unwise to drive a car like that, right? That that's not a good thing. And it's especially not good on a lengthy road trip, okay? You'll wear out the tires on your car and need new ones at the end of, of, of one direction of that lengthy road trip, right? Let alone getting back. I think you know where I'm going with this, right? That, that our, our team discipline system needs to be in alignment with the type of culture we're trying to build. And when it's not, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't, you don't have a culture that operates properly. It's not functioning as it should. And it's really easy in leadership to start thinking and acting in ways that are not aligned with the type of program you're trying to build. Sometimes in the moment, reactive thinking leads to problems, leads to you doing things that aren't building what you're desiring to build. You sort of get off plan, get off architect, get off design, and start to build something counterproductive and you're not even realizing it. And so the first thing I want us to do is really hone in and think about what does it look like to have a team discipline system that really builds the type of culture we want? Because I think this area is the most obvious area when you step back and look at a culture. This is the area where I think I catch myself and I see other coaches 
following through in terms of building disciples of the program, um, but doing it in a way that actually doesn't promote what they really want. And it just takes a little bit of self-awareness, a little bit of thinking differently, a little bit of perspective to help you see, oh, I just, I need to think differently about this and act differently and follow through in different ways. It is incredibly easy. And, and, and those of you who are members can see the video and, and just look at the notes I'm on here. It is incredibly easy to slip into using fear, shame, and pride as your primary tactics for disciplining athletes. If you're using fear, you're, you're establishing consequences that your athletes are afraid of, such as various forms of conditioning, um, like things that they would maybe build up a physical fear. It might even, and we're seeing a lot of this <clears throat> come out in programs right now across the country as football season kind of winds down and we're into the, the, the depths of the winter sports season. It might be that they're afraid of you, that you strike a fear in them and that you use that and, and, and um, use that as a way to sort of establish yourself as the authority. Another way that you can get off track with disciplining players is to use shame right? Requiring athletes to engage in some sort of behavior that is merely designed to shame them and not teach them. I can remember lots of these from summer camps back in the day. When I was a little guy, you might have had a similar experience. Go to a summer camp at your local university, and if they found your key somewhere that you lost to the dorm room you're staying in, they'd call out the number and you'd have to come up to the front and maybe you'd have to sing a song or something that was highly embarrassing. Those aren't the end of the world. They're certainly not the most terrible thing, but, but coaches can take this too far in a hurry too, right? And the only thing I'm learning when I got to come up front and do something embarrassing or something to that effect is that that was embarrassing. That's the only thing I'm learning. I'm not really learning to uh, take care of myself, to not lose my key. I'm not learning tactics for how to make sure your key doesn't get lost. I'm just getting shamed. And so it can be easy to do those things and think we're accomplishing something, but really we're building a culture dependent, uh, I'm sorry, an audience dependent culture where if there isn't shame on the line, I'm not really following through with anything. So be thinking about these things. Last thing I wanna talk about is pride. <clears throat> this is rewarding athletes in a way that can lead to bragging or lording it over other athletes, sort of creating a hierarchy. There's definitely places for this. You may have your pride stickers on the back of a helmet. I use these in my first few years as the head coach, because I think we needed to start to use those to establish what we're striving for. Uh, we don't use those anymore, not because they're bad, but because I'm hopeful that we've developed beyond that, that we're now uh, establishing some patterns that are just rooted in who we are. And those things are just the expectations. And we don't need a sticker on our helmet to know that that's what we're striving for. To be really clear, I think all of these can and should have a place in your program, but they've got to be sort of on the periphery of what you're doing in terms of disciplining and making disciples of your program. At the end of the day, if you're trying to build an audience independent culture, these will not get you to where you want to go because they're out of alignment with an audience independent culture. It's that simple. Let me just remind you of some of the things I'm talking about when I use audience dependent, audience independent culture. I mean, an audience independent culture is one that doesn't need a coach or fans or college scout or mom or dad there to watch the athletes in order for them to do the work that will actually help them grow and develop. An audience independent culture is a culture motivated by love, love for the game, love for teammates, 
love for the team. And those are the things that really bring out the best effort in people, the best focus, the best attention to detail. And if you're trying to build that kind of um, culture, fear, shame, and pride might help set initial impressions. Some of those kind of things we just talked about might set some initial impressions that everyone will be held accountable to expectations and standards, but they won't do anything to teach and train your athletes how to have audience independent ambitions, motivations, and mindsets. And if you if you know anything, I mean, like members, you, you know all about uh, the what type of culture are we assessment, and it's all about um, ambitions, motivations, and mindsets. That's what we're trying to teach, because when you have ambitions, motivations, and mindsets that are truly in alignment with the culture. Now you don't need an audience. Now people will choose on their own to do the things that lead to success, that lead to your definition of success. They'll choose to do the things you need to do. They'll choose to think that way. They'll choose to interpret the season the way you want them to. And you want them to do that because you know that's the path that's right for your program at your school in your specific situation. So if you're following along and tracking along at all, the, the obvious question is, if I can't do those, like, what, what do I do? Like, how do I discipline athletes? Uh, how do you discipline athletes that align or in ways that align with the type of culture you're trying to instill? So remember, the goal isn't to merely modify behaviors. If you've been around uh, my way of thinking on this at all, you've heard me say this. It's not merely to modify, modify behaviors. It's to teach and train your athletes how they should think, how they should interpret the season, the perspective, the worldview even they should have when it comes to your program, your sport, your calendar year of events that you do to help build your program. The goal isn't to modify, modify behaviors. The goal is to create a culture that makes disciples. So with that in mind, the first thing you must do is ask yourself, how do disciples of my program think and operate? Like, what does that even look like? You kind of got to get some clarity on that, some definitions on that, right? And again, going back to the what type of culture assessment or what type of culture are we assessment? I would say that there's, there's many different ways you could define the details, but ultimately it's those highest levels of ambition, of motivation, and of mindset that are outlined there that really make the difference, that really are what you're striving for in every culture. The details and the way that plays itself out are different from sport to sport, school to school, um, situation to situation, but that's what we're all really striving for. So focusing on creating disciples of your program is why the different ambitions, motivations, and mindsets are outlined in that what type of culture are we assessment. And so every step you make in disciplining your athletes should move your athletes from one ambition, motivation, and mindset to another. I've done my best in that assessment to really outline with broad painting strokes, uh, the, the, you know, what is it like five to seven different types in each of those categories. And <clears throat> Those are there to help you say, okay, here's where we're currently at. I'm trying to get this individual athlete to move down the chart to a better ambition, to a better motivation, to a better mindset. And how am I going to do that? That's kind of what we're talking about here. How are you going to disciple an athlete in that journey? In other words, you teach and train and hold your athletes accountable in ways that will move your program from behavior modification 
to an audience dependent culture where you will have to be there and actually change things to an audience independent culture where, where they aren't dependent on you. Yeah, you're going to be there to continue to coach them and train them. But at some point, maybe the juniors or the seniors in your program, they're operating pretty audience free. They don't, they don't necessarily need you to be there except for to continue to grow. But the desire, the ambition, the mindset they have, that's, that's embedded in them. So the key thing I want you to see is that once you've answered the question, how do disciples of my program think? How do they operate? How do they interpret the season? Now you sort of have to reverse engineer the process. And that's kind of where we're going here, talking about reverse engineering the process once you've already defined some things. So that's where we want to go now, because reverse engineering, it means understanding the types of discipline you might use in order to get from A to Z, Z being the type of like a disciple of your program. To do that, we're going to take a look at what I call the four types of discipline. So <clears throat> as we go through these, what you're going to see is that I think there's, again, big, broad painting brushstrokes, four types of discipline you should be using. And each of these, once we get through them, will help you see, oh, this is when I should be doing this. This is when I should be doing this. And all of it is part of your system to make disciples of your program. So here's the four, just a very brief overview, and then we'll go into detail. So there's formative discipline, which is what I would call proactive teaching and training. There's corrective discipline, which is what I would call retroactive teaching and training. There's consequential, which is basically you reap what you sow. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. We'll talk more about that in a second. And then there's circumstantial. There's things that just happen that are fully beyond your control that you really can't do anything about. And it's frustrating or it's a good thing. Some good thing. You just caught some breaks, but they're, they're outside your control. And you need to, you need to help people see, Hey, that's part of interpreting the season. That's part of thinking the way we think too. So let's go into each of these and, and talk a little bit more uh, in depth about each of these four types. <clears throat> so we'll start with formative, proactive teaching and training. This is the day-to-day -day teachings and expect or day-to-day -day teaching of the expectations and standards. This goes on all the time, no matter what. Really great cultures probably function in formative, proactive teaching and training like 99% of the time. And when you really got a strong culture, um, you're not using the corrective very often at all, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, it's also the, the formative uh, <clears throat> uh, discipleship making or the formative um, teaching and training uh, is also just like team events that include athletes and their families where you're teaching the program's culture. One of the things we'll talk about here soon in an upcoming coaches, I mean, members only uh, portion of the meeting is like how to have a season kickoff event where you really define these things. You've got your athletes and you've got your parents there in one place and you're teaching and training. This is how we think. This is who we are. This is what we're all about. That's a big part of form, formative discipline. And then the other part that's really, really key is training leaders here. That's a huge part of formative discipline. Training your younger athletes in your program or your newer athletes, what it looks like to start becoming a leader and then training at the same time, the older athletes. This is what leadership looks like in our program. That's a huge part of it. As I scroll up here on the video portion that the members can see, you'll see the next one is corrective 
discipline. This is retroactive teaching and training. <laughs> this is the discipline that most people would think of as consequences or that is traditionally, how do you discipline kids when they mess up? You're retroactively, you're, they've, they've made a choice and you're going back and saying that choice, that action, that behavior was not in alignment with who we are. And so there will be some consequences. So I'm going to say the four things that I think you should use as corrective discipline. And until you really understand how to think about rewards and consequences, these may not make sense because I've, I've sort of taken off the table conditioning for no good reason <laughs> other than it just sucks and you, you want them to feel that way because then they won't do it again. That's just fear, um, shame, some of those kind of things. Like <clears throat> what I want you to see here is that you're not going to fully understand this until you really get into the nitty gritty details of how do I carry this out? What I want to challenge you with initially here is to start thinking differently. So the four, I've got four ways that corrective discipline plays itself out. You withhold practice time. People are allowed to be at practice, but they're not allowed to get better. Getting better isn't something they care about. They may not be a great fit for your program. Withholding playing time. They're allowed to be at the game, but not allowed to play. Maybe that's a quarter. Maybe that's a series. Maybe it's a half. Maybe it's a whole game. Playing time should be a key reward that you withdraw from someone. You withhold from someone as a consequence, as corrective discipline. Withholding leadership roles. I mean, being a leader should be something that maybe not everyone feels hardwired for, but boy, those are things that are looked up to in you, but you, you've got to be a rock solid disciple of the program to be a leader, <clears throat> especially as you get older and you're really leading everybody, maybe not just the people in your class as an underclassman. And excluding uh, athletes from being a part of the team. This could be practice. Like you're not, you know what? You've done a few things. You're the, um, the, the message clearly isn't connecting. You're not allowed to be at practice for a day or two. And, <clears throat> and it's because that's an opportunity to get better. That's an opportunity to be a part of the team. We're removing the opportunity to be a part of the team. It might be team events. Maybe it's a pasta feed or something. Uh, my guys get together at someone's house. Parents run it on Thursdays uh, for a pasta feed before Friday games. There, there are certain situations where I said, nope, you can't do that. Like that, you've lost that privilege, that reward. Games, being on the sideline. I have recently not allowed a player to suit up because they didn't, you know, they weren't playing. And so taking away playing time wasn't really an option. And it's like, well, you lose the opportunity to suit up. You can come to the game, but you can't be on the sideline, be in the stands like a normal student. And then the removal from the team. This is where we do not ever want it to end, but occasionally young men or young women push you to that point. And that's way down the road. There's a lot going on. There's maybe two, three years of teaching and training. Maybe not. Maybe it's just a couple months and they just, they're, they're just almost systematically going about not acting in alignment that I laugh because it's like, it's, it's amazing how fast it can happen. But at the same time, it's heartbreaking, right? And it could be removal from the team on a temporary basis or for a long time. Um, I have told young men, they're not allowed to suit up for a game. I have never removed, and they're not allowed to be with the team that day, but I've never removed someone from the team for say two weeks, then you could come back. That might be something in certain situations I might choose to do, or it might just be, you can try again next year if you're an underclassman and you're removed from the team for the rest of the year. Hard to say, I've actually never been pushed quite to that point, um, but it could happen, could happen. The next type of discipline you'll see on the video, and for those of you listening on the podcast, you can just hear about, <clears throat> is consequential discipline. Sort of this reap what you sow. 
So there's the positive side of this, which is the more fun side, like <laughs> winning and playing well as an individual or as a team and like doing well. You can say, hey, that went well. And let me tell you the things I'm seeing as your coach, the, the, the this, that, and this that led up to why we played so well tonight or why you competed so well today. And then, of course, there's the negative. There's the negative, sort of the like, well, what did you expect? We didn't do this. We didn't do that. We didn't do this. And so... I'm not surprised we weren't at our best. And, and that's a lesson learned. You're disciplining. You're, you're, you're helping them uh, through consequential discipline. You're helping them become a disciple. You're seeing them uh, or you're helping them see the consequences of you reap what you sow positively and negatively. That's, that's ongoing. You can, all, you can find one of those almost every day if you're really determined. <clears throat> and then the last one would be circumstantial, like the things beyond your control. Okay. So obviously a great example of this is injuries. Okay. There are so many injuries you can prevent with strength and strength and conditioning and other things like that, but there's some you just can't prevent, right? That would be to me, circumstantial stuff, things beyond your control. People get sick. <laughs> um, the craziness we're still in with quarantines and all those kinds of things. Like that's, that's part of things we can't control right now. Hopefully that goes away sooner than later, but it's part of the things we can't control right now. Um, other people on the team can't control the poor decisions of teammates that lead to them being suspended from a game or whatever it might be like at the, uh, you know, the young person who gets suspended. Absolutely. Those are things they can control, but for the rest of the team, there's things they could have done to maybe be proactive in keeping a teammate away from a really dumb decision that gets them suspended, but there's nothing they can do uh, once it's happened, right? All they can do is focus on things. And so that's circumstantial. It's beyond your control. It is what it is. Here's how we think and interpret in light of that. Um, and, and I guess the, the thing I want to conclude on here, guys, is that great culture coordinators are constantly using all four types of discipline to teach and train their athletes how to think and interpret the events of the season. The, I think the final thing I want to leave you with as we talk about team discipline, team discipleship system, before we move on to the members only portion of this call, I think the thing I want to leave you with is just this reality that that um, almost everything, when you think about it, is formative. It's the proactive teaching and training. Even corrective discipline, to some degree, is proactive teaching and training. Because if you catch it early enough, you're saying, hey, th this, this was out of alignment. We're going to hand out this consequence that, let's be real, it's not a huge deal. Okay, you're going to be fine. It, 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 it's not a, a big, huge consequence at this point. But if this continues, they're slowly going to get the consequences are slowly going to ramp up, so to speak. And you're going to lose more and more of the privileges that come along <clears throat> with with uh, being a part of this team. And as that happens, as that happens, um, you're going to end up um, seeing that this is really important to us. That's, that's really proactive teaching and training. That's really uh, formative, not corrective. All right, we're going to switch to the members only portion of the video chat, the Zoom call. And we're going to talk about the three goals that we should always have in mind whenever we hand out, dole out consequences to an individual or a group or the team. And we're also going to talk about um, the rewards of being in the program. I think most people don't understand that the most powerful thing you can do to discipline a young man when it comes to corrective discipline or a young woman is remove the rewards of being in the program. 
And so you've got to get really crystal clear on what the rewards are. You've got to talk about those rewards, pump them up as the rewards of being in the program, and then know how to remove them in such a way that it leads to creating a disciple of your program. So for those of you on the podcast, I hope this was helpful. Hope this got your, your mind going. It got your thoughts churning. And uh, as we transition to the members only coaching session where we really get into the nitty gritty how of to work this way out, uh, if you're not a member at this point, I'd encourage you to take a look at culturecoordinator.com forward slash join, really check out the benefits. I think it's the best 60 bucks a year you can spend on your program in general, just because it's a great value for month after month meetings like this. Thanks for uh, listening along and we're gonna move on to the members only portion at this point. Thanks guys.